We thank you for those testimonies. We thank you for the way that you use the body to strengthen us and encourage us, God. I thank you that we weren't designed to do this alone. And that's why we share this space with each other. And God, we just pray over this next year and we pray for more testimonies and greater testimonies, God. We thank you, Father, for, um, God, your kids to be knit into this place and uh, for us to continue to love and to serve and be a blessing to more and more people. We thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so it was a, hope you had a, hope you had a great holiday season. Uh, mine was fantastic. Um, it's always nice to be in the new year, though, because you feel like you can kind of unwind a little bit. There's a lot going on in the holidays. We apparently didn't feel like there was enough going on, so we, my family decided to move uh, two days after Christmas. And, um, and so, as you can imagine, it was, a probably, it was an interesting holiday, uh, Christmas Day. We woke up in the morning, and we're sharing gifts with each other, and it was really kind of an interesting experience, you know, to open up a gift, you know, you pull it out of the box, like, oh, hey, this is great, and then you just throw it right back in the box, get the tape dispenser out, you know, and just pack the thing up, and throw the box out to the side, and it's the first time ever we've packed up the Christmas tree, like, midday on Christmas, and it was just, like, it was totally weird, uh, but we're so blessed to be in a new home in Erie here, and, um, but I'm excited to be past that, because we're in a new year now, and I am hopeful I have anticipation. Do you guys feel the anticipation in the air? Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly what I expected. You got some people like, yeah! And other people are like, I'm not so sure quite yet, right? And, you know, that question, do you feel anticipation? It's not like, I, I don't ask that question in, 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 a, in a way to get, a, get us pumped up and pepped up for the new year type of thing, but I, I have come to find that um, the reality is in, in the kingdom of God, we are meant to live with a holy anticipation. One of the primary fruits of the Spirit, of being a people in Christ, is to be a people of hope, to walk with hope. In First Peter, Peter says it like this, First Peter verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Can I get anything out of you on that scripture here today? Come on. I use three pretty powerful words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We have been born into a living hope. That means this hope is not a theory. It's not an idea. It's not a blind faith. This hope is a person. (laughs) <laughs> and we have been born into him today. And can I just remind us here, there's a big difference between hope and optimism. Optimism is essentially our attempt to evaluate our life based on what we can tell is happening in our life and our evaluation of our circumstances and then making a logical conclusion based on what we think that means for tomorrow, right? Right? So I'm looking at my life, I'm like, okay, if these, if these are the numbers are adding up over here, if, if, you know, if this is what's going on, if that happened, if, you know, if she said this, you know, if he didn't do that, if, if this happened, A plus B equals C, then I think, uh, I think you know, tomorrow, I think, uh, from my estimation, it's looking pretty good, right? I mean, that's, that's optimism, but hope is a very different thing than optimism. Hope has to do with your awareness of God's commitment 
to his glory in your life. When you are a person of hope, that means you are a person aware that God is committed to working out his glory in your life. When you're a person of hope, you're aware that God is completely dedicated and given to finding the deepest joy in your life. And that is not just an evaluation of circumstances. That's resting in the reality of his intention since the beginning of time, his intentions for the rest of time, is to allure you into his story, into his glory, into a life of unbelievable joy and peace and righteousness. Yeah? Come on. Is there anybody hopeful in the room here today then? And that's what I'm excited about. And so we talk about hope in this place. And, you know, we think about another year, and some of you have already done this exercise, and I'm not talking about just resolutions. But as you look to another year, if it's true that we are to be a people of holy anticipation, what do you see for this next year? What are you anticipating for this next season What are the hopes that well up in your heart? And if you were to just take a moment and think about those things, and it's something you do need to think about, something we all need to spend some time thinking about, because it has everything to do with what we believe and and what we're after. It's a big question. What are you after? And I want to use the rest of our time here. We don't have a ton of time left this morning because we got to hear some amazing testimonies which you guys needed to hear. But I want to look at the Word of God because I I believe that the children of Israel, they knew what it meant to live in a place of hope. You guys know that? The Israelites knew what it meant to be in a place of anticipation. It's like the whole history of the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, from the beginning. The whole history was just filled with God's promises towards them and prophetic words and and uh and, and prophecies and the utterances and declarations of God as, as to what he was going to line out for them and who he was making them into and what was ahead of them. And, and some of these promises were, you know, kind of really big picture and some of them were very tangible. Like when God shows up to Moses and he tells Moses, I have a land prepared for you. And we read this in Genesis 17. When God speaks to Moses, he says in Genesis seventeen eight, the whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And so very early on in the Israelites' history, I didn't know my preaching was that bad. I'm sorry if it's that bad. Early on in the Israelites' history, God showed up and said, listen, I am preparing a land for you. Like, it's not just a prophetic word about, you know, all these just, you know, these big picture ethereal things. Like, I have got property for you, right? Like, I am, I have a land, this land of Canaan I am promising you. And it became known as the promised land. It's something that the people of God clung to. That's what they held on to. That's what they had Always in their thinking, no matter what they were going through, that God has a promise and he's going to bring us into a land. It was just an unbelievable um, uh, promise from God that he's actually preparing an entire piece of land for the nation of Israel to be a nation, to be his people. 
But, you know, as we kind of look through a series of events and sequence of events, you know, we know it kind of gets up and down, but they start holding on to this. So we read that God promises them the land of Canaan. And then shortly after that, if you just bear with me, I'm just going to walk through, just going to fly through a little bit of history here. After that, as Joseph uh, died in Egypt, the Israelites um, came under the leadership of a new pharaoh, uh, which he brought his oppression to the people of Israel. And we read that they're taken into captivity for roughly 400 years, taken into slavery, stripped of their identity, stripped of their, uh, um, their nation state, stripped of uh, everything that they held dear, and, and possibly even stripped of their hopes. But then God raised up a, a man named Moses, right? Read about Moses, who God raises up, and, and Moses reluctantly goes back into Egypt with a message from God that says, I need you to let my people go. They're coming with me, right? So Moses comes in, and in a pretty wild um, you know, week or so in Egypt, I'm still waiting for that movie, by the way, um, through a series of plagues and just the, the whole thing, uh, God liberates his people, and they make their way another step towards the land that God has promised them. We read that they get taken out to the desert. And the desert became a time of testing, of refining, of of God shaping his people. And it probably took longer than it should have. But nevertheless, God led them to a place called Sinai, where he would establish his law and and the way that they would relate to him and the way that they would relate to each other. And God, at Sinai was able to reestablish their identity as a people, as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood, as a people for his own possession, said, this is who you are, this is who I am for you, now go take the promised land, right? And so they're like, oh man, this is it, right? It's right around the corner, this land, this Canaan, this thing that we've been dreaming about, that we've been hoping about, it's, it's come. And so then we read that God tells Moses, Moses, you're not the one to take him in there. I'm raising up another. His name is Joshua. He's going to lead the people to inhabit the promised land. And that's exactly what happens. They cross the River Jordan, and they get into this land that they had been thinking about and praying about and hoping for and dreaming about, this land that was promised to them for roughly 470 years. And it's interesting to read how this goes, and this is something I... I credit my friends uh, Tim and Lori for illuminating this passage uh, to me, and I, I believe this is something the Lord would want to point out this morning as well. As the people of God came into the promised land, it became time for them to split up the allotment of which tribe got what. And so there's 12 tribes in Israel, and they're all waiting, okay, which piece of land is ours, right? And so we start getting into the book of Joshua. About midway through, Joshua starts allotting out the different pieces of land to all the tribes of Israel. And uh, he's doing this according to what God had shown Moses. But we start reading halfway through Joshua that said, all right, we're here. Now, Reuben and you're, you know, the tribe of Reuben, you're going to go over here, right? You're going to go west of this sea and north of this desert. And this is the boundary line over here. And, and Manasseh, you guys are going to be over here. And so it's going down the wrist, you know, just one by one. All the tribes of Israel are getting their allotments. They're getting their portions of land. All the way down. But we read about 
one tribe in particular, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of the Levites. Here's what God ends up saying to them. As they're all getting their portions and they're all getting what they have been hoped for and promised for so long, here's what God says to the tribe of Levi. Numbers 18, 20. It says this, And the Lord said to Aaron, Aaron is from the tribe of Levi. The Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. And again in Deuteronomy 10.9, Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord God said to him. And so we read that they get there, and as the land is being distributed and allotted accordingly, it goes all the way through the list, but God has a different plan for this little tribe of Levi, the Levites. And they get there, and I wonder if they stood in shock as they hear you know, the voice of God essentially said, Oh, by the way, you're not getting any land. Did I tell you that before? Did I mention that? By the way, you're not getting any land. I'll be your portion, and that'll be good for you. Now, I, I, I don't know how they responded to this. You know, I can only guess, um, man, if it, was, if it was me, you know, that, you know, it's like, really? Like, gonna, I don't, can I just have a little land? Can, would, that, would, would that be okay with you, God? Can I get you and some land? I mean, I, I love you, but I would like some land as well. Everyone else is getting land. I see all these other tribes getting land. I just want a little land, right? Can I get some land in here? And I, I, uh, I mentioned that must have been maybe hard to digest at first. Almost like I started thinking about what it would be like at Christmas time. And if you were gathered around Christmas morning with your children around the tree, and they were, had been anticipating Christmas all year, and they knew that they were going to get some sweet gifts on Christmas Day, right? And they knew it was coming all year. And so Christmas, Christmas morning, you roll out the gifts, and I, I imagine how this would happen in my house. Like, you know, you get all the, you know, these gifts to your kids, you know, toy for you, toy for you, toy for you. And then I got to my older son, Noah, and I said, but hey, hold on a second. No toy for you, but just give me a second, you know. You run out of the room. You put a bow on your head. You show back up in the room. Your gift is this guy, Right? <laughs> You'd be like, this is the worst Christmas ever, right? <laughs> like, you've got to be joking me. I get you. Now, we don't know what they were thinking, and I'm sure what they were thinking, the Levites, was much different than that because we're talking about a completely holy, perfect, righteous God that says to them, you're not going to get a portion of land, but I'm going to give you myself unreserved. I imagine that was good news to their ears. But what I want to drill down on is this idea. Why would God do that? It's almost as if he was using the tribe of Levi as an example to the rest. And what he was doing, I think, is he was setting up for the tribe of Levi what his deepest desire is for all of his people. That they would find their portion in the land to not be as great as their portion in him. And that he was using them as a model, saying, I'm going to choose these guys, I'm going to set them apart, because I want them to model, I want them to hold the flame, I want them to carry the torch here of what it looks like for a people to not be so impressed with the fulfillment of a promise, but to be completely given to their portion who is in the Lord. And... They were the ones who got to live this out. 
They were the ones who got to, to model this for everybody else, that there's something in the heart of God. See, 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 God did fulfill his promise to the Israelites. He did provide the land, and that is not something that should be disregarded. But I think what we see in this passage is that there's always something in the heart of God that invites us to look beyond his hand and into his eyes. There is always something in the heart of God that says, even as you hold on to the promise, even as you anticipate the plan, will you look to me and find a better portion? Will you look to me and find a better gift? Will you look to me and find a better reward? That is what he's been after for the beginning of time, is intimacy with the hearts of his sons and daughters. And along the way, he brings his promises. Along the way, he brings prophetic words. Along the way, he brings his plans. But none of those things compare to the joy of knowing him as our portion. He is our portion. (laughs) And this is what we read in other parts of Scripture. As in the Psalms, as they talk about God as our portion, that's what we're talking about. The portion is the inheritance. The portion is the allotment given to you. Psalm 73 is an interesting psalm. It's written by this guy named Asaph. And uh, he was probably older in years. He had seen a lot with his eyes. And we come into this psalm, and it's not a very pretty psalm. I mean, you, you're reading it and you're almost cringing um, because of how raw and vulnerable it is. And he's talking about wickedness, and he's pouring his heart out to the Lord, and he's asking God to deal with these things that are happening. And I imagine if I was there in the room when he was writing it, I'd be like, bro, you need to, you need to chill out here a second. But he was pouring his heart out to the Lord, and, and he finally arrives at this verse in verse 23. He goes into, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God, my flesh and my heart might fail. I don't know how things are turning out. My flesh and my heart might fail in this process, but one thing I know is that God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion. He has given himself to me. If I have nothing else, I do know this. I have a portion in a good God. I might not get the land as everybody else, but I am completely content and satisfied that my portion, with my portion, I am still on the winning team. (laughs) Come on, anybody in the room, just say amen right now. And then we turn to Lamentations, which, which again is a book of the Bible that we wouldn't put under the category of cheery. All right? It's called Lamentations. Jeremiah was lamenting. And even Jeremiah arrives at this place in verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my, my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And if I were just to drop one 
nugget here today for us to land on. As we set a course for a new year, as we chart a new year, I believe that the the invitation to the Levites, I believe it's the same invitation he wants to extend to all his people, is to know him more than we know the plans and the promises, to find our complete satisfaction in him, that he himself would be our delight, our prize, our reward, our treasure, our inheritance, and our portion for this next year. And if it's if this is going to be true for us, then our vision, both individually and corporately, must not be simplified down to a plan, but must remain a person. The vision of this house, the vision for your house, the vision for your life, cannot be boiled down and simplified into a few activities and a few plans, but it must remain the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself must be the ultimate vision in our lives. Everything we do, everything we speak, everything we put our hands to is not an end in itself. It's only a pathway for us to see him and to know him more. He is our portion, and he is the best portion. Are you hearing me here this morning? Because we have a tendency sometimes as we chart our course and make our plans to make those things an end in themselves, and we oftentimes can terminate our vision and our affection on the things that we hope for, the promises that we're waiting to be fulfilled. We cannot afford to live our lives terminating our vision or affection on anything else besides the person of Jesus Christ. Well, you can think about that. That might light you up later. That's lighting me up right now. It'd be much the same as us coming into this place and bragging about the windows. Right? you got to come to Vine Life. We have awesome windows. They're double pane, right? About a 60% tint on those things. We've got these blinds that come out. You just love the glass on these windows, right? Just completely clean. No smudges on the glass. And then, meanwhile, you're standing by and thinking, but what about the view? We are not gathered around windows. We are gathered around the view, Much the same, we don't gather around our plans and we don't gather around just the fulfillment of our promises. Those are only windows to the greater portion, which is Him. My heart is only satisfied in Him. And let me remind you, your heart will never find satisfaction until you find it in the person of Jesus, who will never be taken from you. His inheritance is unfading and unfailing and imperishable forevermore. Come on. So I'm over time, and we got some stuff to do. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Walt here to come pray. Real quick, i got to do this as well. In Ireland, in the 500s, um, there was a poet. His name was Dalen Forgill. He was one of the chief poets in all of Ireland. He was killed in 598 by a pirates. But he was a studious and he was a scholarly man. He spent a lot of time in the Word of God studying. He couldn't get enough. He studied so much, even by candlelight, that eventually he went blind. And sometime after he went blind, he wrote a hymn that you guys might have heard of. And the hymn goes like this. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, 
save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my life. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now in all ways. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Would you pray with me here today? Jesus, I pray that today and for the rest of this time, not even just this year, God, but our lives would be marked, that we would be people, that our ultimate vision on this planet and in our lives is you. I thank you, Jesus, for your promise in this place and your invitation to know you, to know you as our portion, God. I thank you, Father, that you're looking for those who respond to that call, those who say, man, I don't need the things, I don't need everything else, I'm fine with those things, and those things are awesome, but at the end of the day, the one that my heart wants is Jesus, the one that my heart wants is him, I'm fully satisfied in him. I thank you today for that heart, God, that you are our portion. We thank you, Jesus, that for this year, Jesus will be our portion in this community, in this house, for every man and woman and child, for every home represented here. We pray for a portion of Jesus going all the way around, fully and unreserved, God, that we end this year, God, if no other outcome, that we knew you more, that we grew in you, that we grew in our affection of you, God. I bless every heart on a pursuit of you this morning. And God, we say yes to you, Jesus. We say yes to you in this place. We say yes to you in our lives. And God, we welcome your habitation. We mark this day, Lord God, at the beginning of the year with that declaration. Jesus will be our portion. Amen. Amen.